Chapter 5 of Consuelo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Consuelo by George Sand. Chapter 5 A violent struggle arose in the breast of the happy lover, who, agitated and palpitating, was borne on the waters through the tranquil night with the most celebrated beauty of Venice. Anzalito was transported by his ardor, which gratified vanity rendered still more powerful. On the other hand, the fear of displeasing, of being scornfully dismissed and impeached, restrained his impetuosity. Prudent and cunning, like a true Venetian as he was, he had not aspired to the theater for more than six years without being well informed as to the fantastic and imperious women who governed all its intrigues. He was well assured that his reign would be of short duration, and if he did not withdraw from this dangerous honor, it was because he was taken in a measure by surprise. He had merely wished to gain tolerance by his courtesy, and behold, his youth, his beauty, and budding glory had inspired love. Now, said Anzalito, with the rapid perception which heads of his wonderful organization enjoy, there is nothing but to make myself feared, if tomorrow I would not be ridiculous. But shall a poor devil like myself accomplish this with a haughty beauty like Carilla? He was soon decided. He began a system of distrust, jealousy, and bitterness, of which the passionate coquetry astonished the prima donna. Their conversation may be resumed as follows. Anzalito, I know that you do not love me, that you will never love me, therefore I am sad and constrained beside you. Carilla, and suppose I were to love you. Anzalito, I should be wretched because that were to fall from heaven into the abyss and lose you perchance an hour after I gained you at the price of all my future happiness. Carilla, and what makes you think me so inconstant? Anzalito, first the want of desert on my part, second the ill that is said of you. Carilla, and who dares to asperse me? Anzalito, everybody, because everybody adores you. Carilla, then if I were mad enough to like you and to tell you so, would you repel me? Anzalito, I know not if I should have the power to fly, but if I had, I know that I should never behold you again. Very well, said Carilla, I have a fancy to try the experiment. Anzalito, I love you. I do not believe it, replied he. If I stay, it is because I think you are only mocking me. That is a game at which you shall not frighten me, and still less shall you pique me. You wish to try an encounter of wit, I think. No, indeed, I am not in the least to be dreaded, since I give you the means of overcoming me. It is to freeze me with terror, and to drive me from your presence in telling me seriously what you have just now uttered in jest. You are a knowing fellow, and I see that one must be careful what one says to you. You are one of those who not only wish to breathe the fragrance of the rose, but would pluck and preserve it. I could not have supposed you so bold and so decided at your age. And do you despise me, therefore? On the contrary, I am the more pleased with you. Good night, Anzalito. We shall see each other again. She held out her white hand, which he kissed passionately. I have got off famously, said he, as he escaped by the passages leading from the canaletto. 
Despairing of gaining access to his nest at so late an hour, he thought he would lie down at the first porch to gain the heavenly repose which infancy and poverty alone know. But for the first time in his life, he could not find a slab sufficiently smooth for his purpose. The pavement of Venice is the cleanest and whitest in the world. Still, the light dust scattered over it hardly suited a dark dress of elegant material and latest fashion. And then the propriety of the thing. The boatman, who would have carefully stepped over the young plebeian in the morning, would have insulted him and perhaps soiled his parasitic livery during his repose. What would they have thought of one reposing in the open air in silk stockings, fine linen, and lace ruffles? Anzalito regretted his good woolen cap, worn and old, no doubt, but thick and well calculated to resist the unhealthy morning fogs of Venice. It was now toward the latter end of February, and although the days at this period were warm and brilliant, the nights at Venice were still very cold. Then he thought he would gain admission into one of the gondolas fastened to the bank, but they were all secured under lock and key. At last he found one of which the door yielded, but in getting in he stumbled over the legs of the Barnacoli, who had retired for the night. Per diavolo, said a rough voice from the bottom of the cabin. Who are you and what do you want? Is it you, Zanetto? replied Anzalito, recognizing the man, who was generally very civil to him. Let me stretch myself beside you and dream a while within your cabin. And who are you? said Zanetto. Anzalito, do you not know me? Per diavolo, no. You have garments which Anzalito never wore unless he stole them. Be off. Were you the doge in person, I would not open my bark to a man who strutted about in fine clothes when he had not a corner to rest in. So, so, thought Anzalito, the protection and favor of the Count Zustiniani have exposed me to greater danger and annoyances than they have procured me advantages. It is time that my fortune should correspond with my success, and I long to have a few sequins to enable me to support the station I have assumed. Sufficiently out of sorts, he sauntered through the deserted streets, not daring to pause a moment, lest the perspiration should be checked which anger and fatigue had caused to flow freely forth. It is well if I do not grow hoarse, said he to himself. Tomorrow the Count will show me off to some foolish Aristarchus, who, if I have the least little feather in the throat in consequence of this night's want of rest, will say that I have no voice and the Signor Count, who knows better, will repeat, If you had but heard him last night. He is not equal then, the other will observe, or perhaps he is not in good health, or perhaps, as a third will aver, he was tired last night. The truth is, he is very young to sing several days in succession. Had you not better wait till he is riper and more robust? And the Count will say, Diabolo, if he grow hoarse after a couple of songs, he will not answer me. Then, to make sure that I am strong and well, they will make me exercise every day till I am out of breath, and break my voice to prove that I have lungs. To the devil with their protection, I say, Ah, if I were only free of these great folk, and in favor with the public, and courted by the theaters, I could sing in their saloons and treat them as equal powers. Thus plotting, Anzalito reached one of those little spots termed Corti in Venice, Courts they were not, but an assemblage of houses opening on a common space corresponding with what in Paris is called cité.
but there is nothing in the disposition of these pretended courts like the elegant and systematic arrangements of our modern squares. They are obscure spots, sometimes impassable, at other times allowing passage, but little frequented and dwelt in by persons of slender fortune, laborers, workmen, or washerwomen, who stretch their linen across the road, somewhat to the annoyance of the passengers, who put up with it in return for permission to go across. Woe to the poor artist who is obliged to open the windows of his apartment in these secluded recesses, where rustic life, with its noisy, unclean habits, reappears in the heart of Venice, not two steps from the large canals and sumptuous edifices. Woe to him if silence be necessary to his occupation. For, from morn till night, there is an interminable uproar, with children, fowls, and dogs screaming and playing within the narrow space, the chatter of women in the porches, and the songs of workmen, which do not leave him a moment of repose. Happy, too, if improvisatory do not howl their sonnets till they have gathered a coin from every window, or Brugala do not fix her station in the court ready to begin her dialogue afresh with the avocado, il tedesco e il diavola, until she has exhausted in vain her eloquence before the dirty children. Happy spectators who do not scruple to listen and look on, although they have not a farthing in their possession. But at night, when all is silent, and when the quiet moon lights up the scene, this assemblage of homes of every period, united to each other without symmetry or pretension, divided by deep shadows full of mystery in their recesses, and of a wild spontaneous beauty, presents an infinitely picturesque assemblage. Everything is beautiful under the light of the moon. The least architectural effect assumes force and character, and the meanest balcony, with its clustering vine, reminds you of Spain and of romantic adventures with the cloak and sword. The clear atmosphere in which the distant cupolas, rising above the dark mass, are bathed, sheds on the minutest details of the picture a vague yet harmonious coloring, which invites one to reveries without end. It was in the Corte Minelli, near the church of San Fantin, that Anzalito found himself when the clocks of the different churches told the hour of two. A secret instinct had led his devious steps to the dwelling of one of whom he had not thought since the setting of the sun. Hardly had he entered the court when he heard a sweet voice call him by the last syllables of his name, and raising his head he saw for an instant a faint profile shadow itself on one of the most miserable abodes of the place. A moment afterward the door opened and Consuelo, in a muslin petticoat and wrapped in an old black silk mantle, which had served as adornment for her mother, extended one hand to him, while at the same time she placed a finger on her lip to enforce silence. They crept up the ruined stair, and seated at length on the terrace, they began one of those long whispering conversations, interrupted by kisses, which one hears by night along the level roofs, like the converse of wandering spirits wafted through the mist, amid the strange chimneys hooded with red turbans of all the houses of Venice. How, my poor friend, said Anzalito, have you waited for me until now? Did you not say you would give me an account of the evening and tell me if you sang well, if you afforded pleasure, if they applauded you, if they signed your engagement? 
And you, my best Consuelo, said Anselito, struck with remorse at seeing the confidence and sweetness of this poor girl. Tell me if my long absence has made you impatient. If you are not tired, if you do not feel chill on this cold terrace, if you have already supped, if you are not angry with me for coming so late, if you are uneasy, if you found fault with me. No such thing, she replied, throwing her arms about his neck. If I had been impatient, it was not with you. If I felt wearied, if I was cold, I am no longer so since you are here. Whether I have supped or not, I do not know. Whether I have found fault with you, why should I find fault with you? If I have been disquieted, why should I have been so? If I have been angry with you, never. You are an angel, said Anzalito, returning her caress. Ah, my only consolation, how cold and perfidious are all other hearts. Alas, what has happened? What have they done to the son of my soul? exclaimed Consuelo, mixing with the sweet Venetian dialect the passionate expressions of her native tongue. Anzalito told her all that had happened, even his moonlight sail with Carilla, and more especially the encouragement which she had held out to him. Only he smoothed matters over somewhat, saying nothing that could vex Consuelo, since in point of fact he had been faithful, and he told almost all. But there is always some minute particle of truth on which judicial inquiry has never thrown light, which no client has revealed to his advocate, which no sentence has ever aimed at except by chance, because in these few secret facts or intentions is the entire cause, the motive, the aim, the object, in a word, of these great suits, always so badly pleaded and always so badly judged, whatever may be the ardor of the speakers or the coldness of the magistrate. To return to Anzalito, it is not necessary to say what peccadillos he omitted, what emotions in public he translated in his own fashion, what secret palpitations in the gondola he forgot to mention. I do not think he even spoke of the gondola at all, and as to his flatteries to the cantatrice, why they were adroit mystifications by means of which he escaped her perilous advances without making her angry. Wherefore, being unwilling, and I may add unable, to mention all the temptations which he had surmounted by his prudence and caution, why, dear lady reader, should the young rogue awaken jealousy in the bosom of Consuelo? Happily for the little Spaniard, she knew nothing of jealousy. This dark and bitter feeling only afflicts souls that have greatly suffered, and hitherto Consuelo had been happy in her affection as she was good. The only thing that made a profound impression upon her was a severe yet flattering denunciation of Professor Porpora on the adored head of Anzalito. She made him repeat all the expressions which the maestro had used, and when he had done so, pondered on them long and earnestly. My little Consuelo, said Anzalito, without remarking her abstraction, it is horribly cold here. Are you not afraid of getting cold? Think, my dear, that our prospects depend much more upon your voice than upon mine. I never get cold, said she, but you are so lightly dressed with your fine clothes. Here now, put on this mantle. What would you have me do with this fine bit of torn taffeta? I would rather take shelter for half an hour in your apartment. "'Tis well,' said Consuelo, "'but then we must not speak. "'The neighbors would hear us, and we should be to blame. "'They are not ill-disposed. "'They see us together without tormenting me about it, 
because they know very well you did not come here at night. You would do better to sleep at home. Impossible. They will only open at daylight and there is still three hours to watch. See my teeth chatter with the cold? Well, said Consuelo, getting up, I shall let you into my room and return to the terrace so that if anybody should observe it, it will be seen there is nothing wrong. She brought him into the dilapidated apartment where under flowers and frescoes on the wall appeared a second picture, almost in a worse condition than the first. A large square bed with a mattress of seaweed and a spotted muslin coverlet, perfectly clean but patched with fragments of every imaginable color. A straw chair, a little table, an antique guitar, a filigree cross, the only wealth her mother had left, a spinet, a great heap of worm-eaten music which Professor Popora was kind enough to lend. Such was the furniture of the young artist, daughter of a poor bohemian, the pupil of a celebrated master, and the beloved of a handsome adventurer. As there was but one chair, and as the table was covered with music, there was no seat for Anzalito but the bed on which he placed himself without hesitation. Hardly was he seated when, overwhelmed with fatigue, his head fell upon the woolen cushion which served as a pillow, but almost immediately, starting up again by a violent effort, he exclaimed, And you, my poor girl, are you going to take no rest? Ah, I am a wretch. I shall go and lie in the streets. No, said Consuelo, gently thrusting him back. You are ill, and I am not. My mother died a good Catholic. She is now in heaven, and sees us at this very hour. She knows you have kept the promise you made to her, never to abandon me. She knows that our affection has been pure since her death as before. She sees at this moment that I neither do nor think what is wrong, that her soul may repose in the Lord. And here Consuelo made the sign of the cross. Anzalito already slumbered. I am going to tell my beads, continued Consuelo, moving away, that you may not take the fever. Angel that you are, faintly murmured Anzalito, and he did not even perceive that he was alone. She had gone, in fact, to the terrace. In a short time she returned to assure herself that he was not ill, and finding that he slept tranquilly, she gazed long and earnestly at his beautiful face as it lay lighted by the moon. Then, determined to resist drowsiness herself, and finding that the emotions of the evening had caused her to neglect her work, she lighted a lamp and seated before the little table. She noted a composition which Master Papora had required of her for the following day. End of chapter 5 Read by Bryce Cries, Youngstown, USA, October 1st, 2021